Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Touch us, each and every one. Hallelujah. Brother Boyd asked me to speak on oneness. So I will just have to tell you right from the very beginning that this is something that I just love with a passion. And it is something like, to me, the topic of faith that we'll just speak on to the day they plant us in the ground or God comes. You could never exhaust it. We'll never learn everything we need to know. It is something that we'll just learn and learn and learn until God comes. So let's just take and let's pray and ask God to touch us. Hallelujah. I know that we're busy. Everybody has got busy schedules. We come in here. We try to slow down as much as we can. We just try to guard our minds when we get here. But let's just try to stop, slow down, and let God speak to us and open and just clear our minds and just say, God, touch me because I know we will. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. And that I know that you are the God that hears us. So we ask you right now, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, your word is already anointed. So God, we need you to anoint us, Lord God. Open our minds, our hearts, Lord God. I pray, God, that we can put aside every thought, Lord God. Every bit of tradition, Lord God, that we hold fast, God. Open us, Lord God. Touch us, God. Strengthen us, Lord God. We need you, God, to touch us, Lord God. We thank you for what you're going to do. We praise you right now that you are the Lord God that reigneth, Lord God. Touch us this day, Lord God. Guard us, Lord God. Touch our minds, Lord God. For we know right now your will and your will be done, Lord God, I pray. We thank you for what you're going to do. We love and we praise you. Have your way this day, Lord God, I pray. Touch us, God, and we thank you for it. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. I'm going to ask you if you would just remain standing. Let's just read. My, I'm going to begin in Exodus 20. Uh, I really have a lot I want to get to, so um, uh, I'm not one much for small talk, so <laughs> let's just go straight to it. Um, Exodus 20. Um, I want to begin where the Lord, um, I've heard these spoke of as ground rules. These are not ground rules. These are commandments. So this is where I want to start. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, um, your Bible to follow along with the screen. There's no mistaking who spoke this. For Exodus 20, it says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. For thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not buy thyself down unto them nor serve them for the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Verse 6, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, before God ever commanded anything of man, he told who he was and what he did for Israel. He said, I am the Lord God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Is the way he referred to it, I like of it, out of the iron furnace. He said, I am the Lord God. I brought you out of the house of bondage. You were held captive by sin, and I am the Lord God that brought you out. And then he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing, nothing is to come before God. 
It does not matter what it is, who it is, nothing. That means nothing. We know what nothing means, but literally in 2015, that still means nothing. Nothing is to come before God. That may sound a little radical to you, but it's still the truth. Just because it was written back then in the Old Testament, it's still relevant today. It is still a commandment. Nothing is to come before God. So he says nothing. And then he says there was to be no worship, praying to, seeking guidance or any help from any other so-called God spirit or even people have died. It is amazing to me. I'm seeking help from someone. Who are they? Or they passed away. Their spirit tells me what to do. God said it's, it's crazy and I'm not just literally making fun to the point, but God said do not do that. He's telling them thousands of years ago, if you want help, you come to me. I am the God that will answer you. You do not need to go to no other God. And he says, if you do this, I will refer to it as idolatry. Don't go to no other God. If you need an answer, you come to me. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, what that means, God knows us. He knows our thoughts, what we're thinking. God said, don't have no other gods before me. Now, the, the most prevalent one that we know of is Baal. So if, if they had other gods, it was just, they, was, they had gods for everything. We think we have false gods. There's gods everywhere now even. We just name them different. But they had gods then. God said, do not, I'll just use Baal. And God said, if, if you was a farmer, Baal was known as, the, um, the, as far as someone that could supply water. So if you had, uh, was a farmer and you needed water for your crop, and you went to Baal, and you needed it to rain, and you sought Baal for water, and then you was a Jew, and then you went to the house of God, that's taking a, a, another so-called God and coming before God. And God said, don't do that. Don't come before me or bring another God before my face. Because God said, I'm going to know it. If you have sought guidance somewhere else, don't try to come before me when, when you sought guidance somewhere else. God said, don't do that. That's idolatry. I am, and I am enough for you. So he's telling them not to do this. He says, don't come before me. Don't do this. He tells them, don't make no image. Now, this has just gone crazy to me in our world where they have made images. I mean, even that thing right behind us across, we have to be very careful with that. I know what that represents. That is a symbol, but we have to keep that in perspective. We cannot make an image out of that. I know what that represents, but God says you may not make any graven image. They said, well, we can make it just long as we don't bow down and worship it. You're, you're just seeing how close you can get to the line is all you're doing. God said, don't you make no graven image or anything. He says, he says, make no likeness of any graven image or likeness of anything. God said, do not do this. Do not make you an image. Do not make you a likeness. But now we've just got more sophisticated. We just go out and we buy things. We just worship them things, so to speak. We just adore them. We love them. You know, and, but God said, don't do this. Don't make an image out of it. And they think, well, you know, it's just, it's just something. It's, it's just not that big a deal. But the Bible told them. God told them. It's just literally, don't have no other gods. And it's not that God was trying to be, you know, I'm number one. It was always, always for the benefit of the people of God. Because God knew there is no other God besides me. So every time you go out seeking help other than me, you're the one that's going to be shortchanged. You are the one that's going to pay the price. So he's telling his people, do not seek help or guidance nowhere else. Because in the long run, you will be shortchanged. You are the one that's going to be hurt. You are the one that's going to be taken. You're the one that's going to the palm readers just laughing at you when you leave. Come to me if you need help. Seek help of my man if you need help. Go to the closet and don't leave until I answer you because I and I alone would give you what you need. But we think, you know, we in this microwave generation, we just want to go to the closet and say, okay, God, you got 15 seconds. If you don't answer me, I'm going to 1-800. Tell me what you need. And God says, I ain't working that way. I'm not working that way. I and I alone will fill your need, and I can do it, and I will do it. But I'm telling you, don't have no other gods. Don't you make no image. Don't wear no image. 
Do not make a God out of it because I and I alone will provide your needs. He tells them he will do this. And in the Old Testament, one thing I want to uh, make note of, in the Old Testament they had the, uh, the tabernacle, the ark stood behind the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And what was unique to me is where they had in, in, the, in the Holy of Holies, you had the ark. In the ark was the law. And what you, you had there that rested on the ark is the presence of God or the glory of God, I will say, that rested there. Meaning to me, the two was never to be separated. You had that. You had the law and you had God's presence. And they was never to be separated. Now, what makes it unique to me, when Moses went to go get the law, you have him when he's coming back with the law in his hand. What happens? The Bible tells us they didn't have no law. They disobeyed the presence of God. And the Bible says about 3,000 men lost their life. Now, when you flip that around on the day of Pentecost, when you have law and when you have spirit and you don't separate them, the Bible tells us that 3,000 was added to the church. They are not to be separated. You cannot take the law without the spirit. You've got to have the glory of God fastened to the law. And when I try to separate that, then I'm going wrong. God said, don't do this. Don't try to separate the law from my spirit. You've got to have them both together. And then he tell them, I and I alone am enough for you. But yet we think sometimes that we're so modern, we're so creative, that that was all of this back there. But God said, no. That little bit of time frame that when I gave my commandments to what little bit of time has brought us up to now, nothing has changed. I'm still God. It seems like a long time for us. But in essence, it's been a very short time. God said, I hadn't changed. You're still my beloved. I will still give everything and do everything that you need. All you have to do is seek my face. And then I will give it, and I will give it to you. Now, literally, if we literally had a picture that we could hang on the wall, that we could accurately say, this is what our God, Jesus Christ, looked like, what would happen? We would be drawn to the picture and not the presence. That's why God said, when you come into my house, you will worship me in spirit and in truth. You will take the law and the presence. That's, what you, that's why I said you can't separate it. You can't separate it. God said, no other way. It won't be no other way. You will have to worship me in spirit and in truth. And if you try to separate this, that's why I said, God said, you can't do this. He tells them all these commandments are for the protection. They are for the protection of, of, the, of, of the people of God. The fathers, a lot of people, I think, gets crossed up on this. When it tells them where the Lord's going to visit the iniquity on the children of the third or fourth generation. and But the words that they leave out. Now, do I think that if the fathers, one thing that God hated, and I want you to, to, to realize that I'm using the word hate, is idolatry. Because he knew his beloved is going somewhere that, they, that in the end is going to result in them being used and abused. So God hated idolatry. He hated his children uh, partaking of idolatry. So he said if a father partakes in idolatry, that is going to be the result of sin. And the result of that sin, the iniquity that is found upon that father, some people think that that is automatically passed down to the children. I believe it is not passed down to the children. And why I state that on is this where the Bible says to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, that hate me. It's not just automatically passed to the children. It's the children that hate me. And look, even in judgment, God's showing mercy. God said, I'll only go to the third or fourth generation of them that hate me. But go to the sixth verse. He said, I'll go to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So it's the, the father's that had gone into idolatry. And then you got the children that just says of them that hate me. God said, I'll take the, the consequences of their sin, of their father, and I'll place it on the children as a result. Why? Because they hate me. That's the reason. It's not automatically placed. 
You can have someone I think really believes that they have good children that's just automatically just God just sandwiches the sin upon them. No, I personally do not believe that. The Bible says they hate me. As a result, they hate me. That is why the iniquity is placed upon them. That is why. I believe it. That's me. I believe that. I don't believe it's automatically placed upon them. And I'm telling you, even in judgment, judgment, God restrains himself. I'm only going to the third or fourth generation, and that's it. That's as far as I'm going. But if you'll keep these commandments, I'll go to thousands. I'll go to thousands of them that love me, that love me. Now, I want to go to, uh, if you want to follow me, I want to jump to Psalms. It says in Psalms, the... Um, 111.9, he sent redemption to his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Now, he sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Now, reverend. In your King James Bible, reverend, that's the only time it's used in the King James Version, period, is right here. Holy and reverend. Now, it's used in the adjective form here. It's used in other terms as fear, but this is not where it's used here. It's used here as the holiest name, Yahweh. Holy and Yahweh is his name. It's the only time it's used, and it's applied unto God. Holy and reverend is his name. He says, his commandment, his covenant forever. Then he says this, the fear, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. Now, some just look at the Bible, the Word of God, and says, I don't see how y'all get all this. Well, that's understandable because God said, they that do my commandments, I will give them understanding. If you will just spend a little time with this Word, you cannot read this like a novel and just walk away and think you'll understand it. I'm telling you, God is not going to give this treasure to just anybody. If you will take time and apply this Word, and God said, and keep my commandments, he says the, the reverence, the fear of the Lord, that is the beginning. So take time. Hide this word in your heart. That is going to be the beginning of understanding. You will not draw nigh to God and want to learn of his word and God just withdraw from you. It will not happen. God said he has established this covenant forever. God is going to hold it. He is not going to let go of it. You cannot draw nigh to him and him just turn away from you. It will not happen. It will not happen. Now, it tells us, and I'll just read, I'll just read this to you. 33.6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now, I'm going to jump back to my favorite book, Genesis. Now, it says in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't give this to them so they don't have it. But what I, want to, what I want you to make note of, of how many times God said. It just, in the beginning, God said, one thing that I just love, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, this is what has always intrigued me. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. But God just didn't leave the darkness alone. The Spirit of God moved was moving, was moving. And then he said, and God said, let there be light. Now, what I really love from a spiritual point of view, I believe God established a principle to us. Light, he separated it. Light, darkness can never overcome light. I believe we can use this as a principle. God divided it. He says, and God saw the light, saw that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So I believe in people that we talk to, if you find anyone that believes they are so corrupt that they have no good, you take them to this. Darkness was upon the face of the, the deep. Now, what I, the, 
the way I like to look at this is darkness was upon the face of the deep. God reached in and with, with, uh, withdrew the light that was from the darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was no light. And God just reached in and said, I'll take the light from it and divided the light from the darkness. So we have people that really believe they're just too much. They've done too wrong. They've went too far that God can't help them. That's just me. That's the way I see it. God just reached in. He divided it. He said, this is a principle I'm going to establish that will never be able to overcome. Satan will not be able to overcome this. This is a principle. Then as you go on, you just keep going, and God said, and God said, and then he just keeps on, and God said, and God said. Now, I want you to go all the way with me, but the thing I want you to point, I want to point out to you, and God said, and God said, but there was no one there to hear it. There was no humanity there. God was still speaking. When Adam was created, it's going to be the same way in heaven. When God plants us in heaven, it's going to be ready. Eden was completely finished when God put Adam there. So God kept speaking. He kept speaking. Nobody was there. There may have been angels there. I don't know. But the Bible says that God kept speaking. And God said. And God said. Okay, all the way to 126. I just want to tell you what I think it means. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And, but that's where I want to stop. I just want to, I just want to tell you what I really think that means. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, where I want to start, you know what I think about time. If ever there's a concept I love, it is time. Maybe a little too much, but I can appreciate the concept of time. But there's a verse that says, speaking of the rapture of the Lord coming back, and the Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And we just stand back and say, wow, that's great. In Psalms, there's a scriptures that says a thousand years is as but yesterday or even as a watch in the night. It even shortens it, even as a watch in the night. Okay. We think, man, that's something. A thousand years is one day and a thousand, and the day is a thousand years. Okay. But where we start to cross up with that is if, just say we have, something that we really need to pray about and we tell the Lord and I'll just throw out 120 days God I got 120 days that I need this we are locked into time we view everything with a start date and an end date we just live in the confines of time and so we just pray God at the end of 120 days this is going to happen Okay, we pray 30, 60, 90, and then we, from 90 on, we start thinking, God, I don't know where you're at, but nothing seems to be changing. 120 days coming. 120 days do come. Okay, and then we're just like, God, our words is, because we live in the confine of time, God, we have run out of time. And God's probably saying, no, you have run out of time, but I haven't. Time is only relative to you, not me. Because that is where we are confined to time. And if you, I'm telling you, with everything that's in me, if I don't get nothing else, I get this. When it comes to time. So he is saying, you view everything from here to here. So there's a scripture in the Bible, Revelation 13, 8. It says the lamb that was slain 
from the foundation of the world. Now, I believe that's a twofold meaning. Number one, I fully believe that it's a spiritual meaning going back to Jesus Christ. Meaning him coming, dying on the cross, the lamb slain. I fully, 100%. But I believe the second is that paying homage. I believe this is me. I believe it literally was a lamb. When Adam and Eve sinned, I believe a lamb. I believe a lamb was slain. And I believe God is just paying homage of the literal lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So God is saying, you live in time, I don't. So in the, I'm going to have to use a human term because I don't know nothing else. So in the mind of God, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world always existed. It never had a start date and an end date. So who is the us? We believe and wholeheartedly agree for the most part, I would say within us, that God Almighty, Yahweh, came, made himself a body, dwelt in human form. So when he says let us, the us is the spirit of Yahweh dwelling in the human form of Jesus Christ. So we look at it at a time, we look at it and think Jesus, we look at it at, at Calvary, that is when we think, no, God does not look at it in that time frame. God always existed in the form of Jesus Christ, in the mind of God. So when he said, let us, it is the spirit and it is the flesh in the mind of God, referring to let us make man in our image. That, to me, that is the hour that he is referring to, the flesh and the spirit, or the spirit and the flesh. That, that's what I perceive that to mean when he says, because we look at it, a thousand years is one day and a day is a thousand years because we just, we're trapped. We're just trapped here in the confines of time. But God is not. God is not trapped like this. So he just says, we think, we think, we think that on some issues time has run out. But it has not. It is not. We just have to live in the position that we're placed in. So in the mind of God, in the mind of God, I believe that's what it means. That's me. God knew he would come. He would make himself a body. That's why he says that he would robe himself of flesh. And literally, I believe Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Abraham, that's when he told Isaac that God's going to provide himself a lamb. Literally, going to provide himself a lamb. So I'm going to turn to now to the book of John where the Lord, he's speaking to the Jews, he tells them, he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he's telling them, and literally right above that, he says, if you, not, if you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So he's telling them along, and then they, when he tells them, when he tells them that before Abraham was, I am, that was just the straw right there that broke it because literally that's when they really, really wanted to do away with the Lord. They handled everything all right until he said that, and that was literally the end. But I believe literally when he tells them, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, I believe this was a spiritual statement to the Jews, to them. You're just crucifying me. You do not realize that you are crucifying Jehovah or Yahweh or Yeshua or whatever what name you want to apply to God. They just looked at it like they was crucifying a man. But God said, when you realize this truth, this truth, that all the traditions that hold you, that has held you up to this point, it would free you, literally free you from the traditions that would, would hold you the Bible tells us in Acts, in, in um, Acts 1-3, it says, To whom he showed himself alive after his passion, after many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of the things of God pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, he's seen of them forty days, which is mentioned 146 times 
in Scripture. This was 40 days after the resurrection of his flesh. So Jesus is talking to them. Now what? I'll tell you what I think about. He's seen of them 40 days. How many? The Bible tells us that 3,000 was there on Pentecost. How many of the Jews do you think was there? That during this 40 days that the Lord was there, that they just said, you know what? I remember that scripture that he said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, I really believe that he was God. He really was God. We did not just crucify man. We really crucified the Lord of glory. And how many of them was there on the day of Pentecost? that was there saying, crucify him, crucify him. But yet, 40 days later, 40 is a type of testing. It, it, always in the Bible, it is a type of testing. And I don't believe it's by mistake, God was there with them 40 days. So I believe a lot of them there, that they could say, you know what, we was wrong. And God gave them 40 days to change their mind. So they took, they had this, Isaiah, Isaiah 9 and 6, the Bible tells us that there is going to be, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning that God himself was going to come to his people. Now, when the Lord came to the land, I believe there was a lot of good people that missed it. They was listening to the priest or just other men, and they just somehow, they just allowed themselves to get caught up, and they just missed it. I really, I really believe that. Do I really believe that they was just full-fledged, 100% against the Lord? There may have been some, and there obviously there was. But this is what Isaiah tells us, that he's wonderful, he's a counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So he tells us God is going to be these titles. These are going to be who he's going to be called. His, the government's going to be upon his shoulder. And then we see this. So he came, and through all of this, all of these titles, prophecies that are coming the people still missed it so I take that and then I fast forward to 2015 and I think about it now about God said he's coming back and there's a lot of people that just think like the Bible says well you know we've heard this since we was a kid and you know where is the promise of his coming as the Bible says so I don't want to take it lightly I want to know who God is I want to know who the Bible says he is. And I want to know, and then he says, and the, the disciples, and the one thing that, that, that I noted, the disciples came to Jesus and even asked him, it says, why do you speak in parables? Why do you speak in parables? I could almost see other people coming to Jesus and ask Jesus, why do you speak in parables? But these was his own men that come to him and says, why do you speak in parables? And later, God just pulls them to the side and says, you know what? Unto you is given to know the mysteries of God. I'll give you the secrets, but I'm not giving it to them. I'm just not giving this treasure to anybody, but I'll give it to you. But I'm not giving it to them. I mean, they might, that might sound harsh, but that's not me. That's our God speaking. God said, I'm going to do it. And I, it's given unto you to do it. And then he goes on to say, he that hath an ear... Let him hear. I mean, that is a spiritual saying. But as God does, he always takes it from a natural point of view. You need ears right now to hear what I'm saying. So the Bible says, in a spiritual point of view, he that hath an ear, let him hear. The obvious term for that would be, God is speaking to the church right now. The point would be, can I hear him? Have I got too much stuff in my life going on to hear him? Do I bring too much stuff to church with me to hear him? God is speaking. There is no doubt in my mind that he is speaking. And for me to go home and say, God, where was you at? God was going to say, where was you at? 
where was your spirit at? Because I am speaking, and then I could be like his disciples and said, why are you always speaking in parables? I didn't understand nothing. And God says, you got too much going on. His disciples even asked him, says, why are you speaking in parables? But God told him, set them aside. I'll let you know the secrets. I'll let you know the secrets of who it is. So he said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. That's what he says. Jump with me to Revelation. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1, first and foremost, this book, probably one of the most read, most misunderstood of all the books in the Bible. It tells us right from the very beginning, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, which God gave unto him. Now, Jesus Christ is the one in which this whole book is going to reveal. Literally, he is the one, he is the one that he is going to reveal. God is it. Now, what I'm fixing to tell you, I feel very strongly about. This is my opinion, so you take it as my opinion. This book, you know me, I'm very cautious about reading after someone. When it comes, I would say in the last, I'll use two years, I have just literally got to the point, I've been coming here a long time, long time. But I'm telling you, I'm asking God, who are you? Who are you? And this is where he takes me every time to the book of Revelation. And I'm like a lot of other people. I just close it and go somewhere else. But I always get sent back here. So this is my opinion. First and foremost, this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second, it is about prophecy. Someone that makes this book about prophecy first, I will not read after. I'm telling you point blank. Because number one, this is about the revelation of our God. And if you try to make it something else, in my view, you have missed it. When you take this book, you go to Revelation, and you lay this book down, you should feel... This is the majesty of our God. This is the unveiling of our God. Because if you go there and you lay this book down and you are fearful fearful in any way, you are approaching it wrong. And please don't think I'm being arrogant. Because God said, this is the revelation to my church, to my people. So I'm going to let you know who I am and we just go to it. I just, I'll leave you out of it. I just go to it. And I look at all the symbols. These symbols, they are not to be taken literally. We just look at it and we think all these creatures are going to appear like this. Yes, they all mean something. No, I don't have it all understood. But I'm telling you, I'm not dodging it anymore. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is for his church and for his people. This is who our God is. And he gave it to his people and to his church. So we believe in one God and his name is one. And he came as the mighty lamb. So he took and he done this. And he gave himself. And he took. And listen, when you know who your God is, when you have assurance of your future, what it is going to do is give you stability in your presence, in your present tense right now. So if you're taking and you're reading, and you just look at it this way, when you read the bloodiest part in Revelation, you just take it, when you're done, you just wipe the blood off, and you just say, wow, at the majesty of our God. For even in judgment, you see how good and how strong. Because I'm telling you, do not be fearful about reading in this book. Because God is taken. Look at it this way. God is going to take and deal with sin. Why should his church, his people, get fearful about that? There is no reason. Sure things is going to happen. This book says it's going to be a time like has never been, nor ever will be again. 
I don't really know what's going to happen, but this I do know. God is in control. He is the one true God. And this book says he will take care of us. He is the one that's going to do it. And now, I really need your participation in this. I like to be left alone, so I, so I just empathize with you at this point. What I want you to do, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to think of the first word that comes to your mind. Apocalypse. If you thought destruction, raise your hand. Well, that's good. That's not very many. Thank the Lord. Because I'm telling you, that's Babylon telling us that. Because in this Bible, Greek word is apocalypse. Babylon is promoting this destruction. I'm telling you, when you look at them, do not go to Babylon for your information, number one. They are promoting all this destruction and just all this doom and gloom and promoting all of this destruction and war and bombs going off. And it's the apocalypse and all of this nonsense. Let them have it. Don't go to them. Don't go to that at all. I'm telling you what it really means. The Greek meaning of the word apocalypse is to reveal something which has been previously hidden. That is the true meaning of it. That's why I'm saying I won't read after somebody that just makes his number one meaning of prophecy because he misses to me the true revelation because all they do is speak about the doom and gloom. They don't never talk about the majesty of our one God. They won't never mention it. So that's why I won't read after them. I will not read after them. But someone that will take number one and read about and talk about and study about the majesty of our God and include the prophecy. It's in here. Of course it's in here. But when you would do it in the perspective I think this book needs to be done in, then I'm fine with it. But don't, because if you do it in that, I believe you miss it. That's me. You don't have to accept that. That's me. But I believe it should be that way. That's why the Lord is, is, is telling us this in Revelation 1.8. Now, those that, in, uh, translated the King James Version, I looked this up, agreed, this is Jesus Christ in Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Now, face it, there ain't but one Almighty, period. There ain't but one Almighty. The Bible speaks of the word Almighty 48 times in the Old Testament, and, and what I like, Job, um, it just slams the bad. 32.8, it says, There is a spirit of man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Now, I have quoted, and I, and I still believe this, but I look at it different, about how Job was never told, Job was never told why the things happened unto him. But 32.8, where he says, There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. I, never again. With the Lord's help, am I just going to say that and not say? It's almost sounding like I just say that Job was never told why this calamity happened to him and God kicked him to the curb and said, deal with it. He says, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of God giveth them understanding. I believe God is just somehow all this unbelievable happened to him, but somehow God gave him the understanding to deal with it. And so 31 times in the book of Job alone, God mentions, Job mentions the Almighty. It's just, Job just says, I don't know about all this, but I know the Almighty can help me in this. 31 times he mentions it. There's only 48 in the Old Testament alone. Eight times in the book of Revelation, the Almighty is mentioned. And he, uh, the, uh, the Lord uh, in, in 1.8 tells us, he says, says the Almighty. Now, the Bible talks about one throne in heaven, about the praise. The fourth chapter, it talks about the praise of God and of Jesus. Uh, even people that disagree with us agree there is only one throne in heaven. Now, turn with me, if you will, to the book, if you want to, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12. 
12 2. I have it if someone hadn't removed it from my Bible. Okay, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we know from the Old Testament, and even when you look at the, the Pentecost account, right before the Apostle Peter speaks in Acts 2.38, he speaks about God in the right hand of the, the right hand of God, but this is a position of power and authority. We know that from the Old Testament. God said, the right hand of me this is speaking of the right hand. It, it is just the authoritative power of God. You have the authority. You have the power. It is just a position of power. So he says, so we can take, and he says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is what I think this means. He said he sat down. This is the way I would word that if I had a, a commentary. He is set down with complete authority of the throne of God. Because you read in Revelation, there is a phrase that's used in Revelation repeatedly. The throne of God and of the Lamb. That means they are the same. They are one of the same. I'm telling you, it is truly to me the greatest love story that there ever has been. That God would love us, love us enough that he would take and come and give himself to us. Now, I want to read one more passage. Philippians, wow, Philippians 2, 2 and 9, it says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to the glory, to the glory of God the Father. Now, the only way that God the Father could receive glory of all of this is for the Spirit of God to dwell in Jesus Christ. Now, there is a scripture that God says in his word is, I will not, I will not give my glory to another. And I will not give my praise to graven images. So for Jesus, for all this praise and adoration, to go to Jesus and for God to receive glory from it is the Spirit of God had to be indwelling. The Bible tells us God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. That is your decision. But I'm telling you, I believe that there is only one God. And I believe the Bible itself speaks of a God the Father, it speaks of the Son of God, and it speaks of the Holy Ghost. And I believe all three of these are present. Jesus Christ is the only visible image of our God. He is all in all. This world just thinks they've seen wrath. They hadn't seen wrath. They don't know what wrath is. They can make their little movies and, and portray all they want. They don't know what wrath is. Because I'm telling you, because the enemy knows. You, you read Revelation. He goes straight to the heart of God. The abomination of desolation is the first thing he does is what? Set up his little image and demand worship. 
I read it to you. God said, you shall have no other gods before me, nor worship the image. That's the first thing that the devil does, is he wants his image, and he wants to worship. They don't know wrath. The wrath is coming. But I'm telling you, as people of the name that know God and know him and know him personally, do not fear when you lay this book down. You want to know God? Let's go to this book. How deep does our passion run? How much do we want to know him? I don't want to know him at face value. I don't want to come to church and know him for a couple hours and go home. I want to know him 24-7 and feel him and stay with him and learn him and know of him because God said it is given unto you, to you, to know the secrets. I'm not giving this treasure to nobody else. I'm giving it to you to know the secrets. And to you, you are privileged to know this. And I believe God has given it to us. He has given this uh, secret unto us. And I believe we, we are privileged to know this. We are privileged. When I started coming here a long, long time ago, there was a phrase that, that I remember that I don't hear it that much anymore, but I remember it. This is a revelation. I used to hear that. This is a revelation. And it's amazing to me that that's right where I've been took back to is revelation. God bless revelation. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.